everyone makes fun of me because both times I made the Olympic team, I was like crying and, <laughs> you know, it's not popular for men to be emotional in America, especially black men. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was gymnast John Orozco. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. Each week, we find the very best athletes and speakers, and we ask them all about the biggest Olympic talking points. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. Sometimes the world seems cruel, especially in sport. And at times, life hasn't been easy for USA gymnast John Orozco. But like most people who've been through a lot, he smiles all the time. He grew up in a low-income household in the Bronx, New York. At that time, not many people did gymnastics in the Bronx. He excelled and went to Colorado to train with the US national team. It wasn't all plain sailing from there. Scott Bregman spoke to him about family tragedy, losing friends and his new music mission. But they began by talking about his favourite moment in gymnastics, the World Championships in 2011. Olympic Channel Podcast. One of the best days of my life in gymnastics was preliminaries or... The day, the day of preliminaries after everything was done, and I realized I was second in the all-around uh, standing. And I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is it. Like, I think I might be able to make the Olympic team. Like, they were only a year out, and I'm second in the all-around. Like, whew. And, uh, and then I got a call about my brother getting arrested the same night. And I was like, Oh, so now I have to like listen to how my brother was beaten by police. After I just felt like I was the most powerful like athlete on the world in the world, almost you. Know. But I was just like, why do I have to deal with that? Why do I have to deal with that? Why? This is so strange. And it just felt like every time I was right where I wanted to be, it was something else going on in my life that stemmed from my home stemmed from something going on in my family. Someone's unhealthy. Someone's getting arrested. Someone's getting jumped. My brother's been jumped so many freaking times. It's just not fair. It's not fair. But that's why I'm... That's why I'm... That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm... I've exerted as much energy and effort as I can into one facet of my life for 16 years, and now it's over. So now it's kind of like restarting. It's really scary. It's hard. But I think if I can get through what I've got through on top of making the Olympic team twice before I even turn 24, I think I can... I can find another path and I, I want to be the best at whatever I do next. When did you, I mean, you kind of said it there about at 2011 Worlds, you kind of had this realization that like maybe the Olympics was actually possible, but when did you kind of first like start to think about, that's when you thought it might be possible, when did you start to kind of think about that as a goal even? The Olympics as a goal became something that was tangible to me when I was about 14 years old. Because at that point I had been through 
six national junior national team meetings or camps, which they always have these meetings and they have the meetings and they tell you, these Olympians before you were sitting right where you are in that seat in this room and and we're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like all 14, 15 and like whatever. Like what's it's this weird kind of thing, like you know it can be you. You're in there, like you know it can be you. So what are you gonna do to like solidify that? And that's that's when I realized. You made it out of the Bronx. Like, what? How different was your life mm. when you when you moved to the Springs to train? I moved to Colorado Springs when I was seventeen years old. I didn't realize that I wasn't really ready to move out. I was not ready to move out. I was not equipped with the life skills that I should have had at that age. And that's again because of the lack of finances that I had growing up, lack of education, the lack of exposure to certain things that you just need to know about life outside of living in a poor inner city community. Um, and it was sort of a cultural shock for me because I went from being not, surrounded by nothing but minorities and people that look like me people with finances like me, but also people that didn't know about sports, didn't know about gymnastics. It was just a totally different, totally different 180 flip of a lifestyle for me. And I didn't realize, but I, at the time, was very homesick. I was very homesick. At a, since, a, since a young age, I was really independent, but I had never been living away from homes and, or from home, and, you know, being 17, it's, it's really young to be out of the house, even though some might argue not, but I, I remember I was, I was very lonely. I was very lonely, and I felt very alone because I felt like I didn't know anyone out there. When I had a bad day, I couldn't, I can call my mom, but, it just wasn't the same as having someone there. So being not being not even being able to see her not being able to see her was subconsciously weighing on me because I'd never been away from her that long and I kind of felt like when I was home I was sort of the one that took care of her all the time. I remember I just was discovering a lot of things, being outside the house and about my uh, diet and nutrition and perspective even, just changing my perspective, hearing other people's perspective, people that have been all around the world. I feel like it really opened up my mind too. So I was really grateful for that as well. Um, but I did miss home a lot because it was just like, okay, everything you know is gone. Everyone you like talk to, no. No more, and I'm 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 so happy that I did make that move because honestly, what I needed was the Olympic Training Center. I, I needed that to make the Olympic team, I believe, because I wasn't going to be able to do it with where I was living at home, and I I needed time to 
to heal after my injury in 2010. And I needed the best care and the best program out there to get me back on track as, track on, as fast as I could get. Because in 2010, it was less than two years before the Olympics. <laughs> so I wasn't gonna give up. <laughs> Um, so then, and you didn't give up because then in two years, you did you won the national title. What was that moment like when they, I mean, I remember it really vividly, when they called you up? Everyone makes fun of me because both times I made the Olympic team, I was like crying and, <laughs> you know, it's not popular for men to be emotional in America, especially black men. But I, uh, I didn't care. It felt like everything had finally paid off. It was like, no way, no way. It did, it finally did, because like so many things are telling me it wasn't. And I was just like, I can do it. I can do it. And I did it. And uh, I remember looking at my mom, uh, because I was talking and I was so excited, I, was, I started rambling. And then I looked up at my mom and I started getting super emotional because not only did I go through it, but you know, she went through it too. She, she was everything for me and my family because she had battled so many illnesses, so many, she went through so many surgeries and just so many operations. I was just like, man, sometimes I would just pray like, God, please like bring me the pain. I'm like young, I can take it. And like, it's just not fair for someone who's worked so hard to be so, at such an old age be suffering so much for nothing. Because honestly, I mean, I don't like to be this pessimistic, but at her age at that time, it was just kind of like, in my heart, after everything I was taught, I was kind of like, how could God let something like this happen to my mom, who is somebody that's never really done anything to anybody? Like, we're trying, you know this. And like, why would you do this to my mom, why? But, you know, perspective. And then, London, like, what do you, what's, what memory stands out? <laughs> Sorry. <Okay>. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so in 2012, it just felt like all my hard work finally paid off, and it was, it was finally all coming together. And it was coming together really fast, almost too fast. It was a little overwhelming for me, I believe, uh, because I was not ready for that attention or the judgment from everyone and the public and Twitter was a thing, a new thing that was, if you think it was unfiltered back then, it was like super, it was, it was brand new. Like everyone was just on it, putting their statuses and everything. And I remember uh, when I made the team and someone, people were like tweeting and stuff and I was like, uh, you're trending, you're trending. I'm like, I don't know what that means, they're great, yeah. Uh, but it was, it was amazing just standing up there, finally, you know, with hearing the crowd and just being able to say, yeah, I made the Olympic team. And it was a dream come true. I got to check that off my list. And I, that whole time period from making the team to after the Olympics was just like, I have to go back and really remember everything that happened and look at photos and everything because it was just, it was so fast and it was such a whirlwind of, events that just happened like that. And uh, afterwards, I remember thinking, I, like, 
now what? <laughs> now what? It just felt like this big thing I thought about like for my entire life was just over like that in a few weeks. And I was just like, huh, it's really, it, 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 it <laughs> there's a time where it's over. <laughs> it's just strange. It's such a big like, huh, after your first Olympics, you know, it's like, I can do it. I can do it. And it's, you know, there's no end of the world afterwards. Because, you know, they make you feel like that for so many years. They make you sacrifice so much everything. I, I left home in 17. I didn't have friends ever. Didn't have time to party. Didn't even go to college, which is another sacrifice that I made personally. After, uh, you know, talking with my parents and everything. Uh, but um, my first Olympic Games was not what I thought I wanted it to be at the time, but I wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change any of my experiences. And then the next quad, 13 to 16 for you was like, I mean, just tell, tell me That's about- That's four years, dude. Think about all the injuries I've had in four years. After 2012, 2013 to 16 was a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. It was like a living nightmare. So before we carry on any further, let's break down exactly what went wrong for John Orozco in that period. After London 2012, he was a bit disappointed with his performance there. So he wanted to prove that he was better. He hit the gym hard probably a little too hard. He picked up a few injuries. He tore his anterior cruciate ligament towards the end of 2012. It's one of the worst injuries in sport. So if you're not wincing, you should. It really hurts. Amazingly, he made it back for the 2013 World Championships and took an individual bronze medal on the parallel bars. And then, in 2014, he took another bronze medal at the Worlds for the team event. But then, in February 2015, his mother died unexpectedly. Four months later, he was told to forget about Rio. He tore his Achilles for the second time. John did not listen. He was determined. And then, in 2016, against all the odds, he secured his place on the US national team for Rio. And this was his reaction. I'm really proud of everyone that's helped me got, get to this point, especially my mom. How much was your mom in your heart and in your mind tonight? My mom was there the whole time and I know she's looking down at me and she's so proud. And uh, if you can hear me, mom, I love you. Doctors told you last June that there was no way you would be able to compete for at least a year after that Achilles injury. What was it emotionally and physically that powered you through? Just, I found it within myself and the people who created that within myself were my family and my friends and they, just their strength resonates with me so much and I am so thankful. And I, the job's not over and I know and I'm proud to be representing USA, and I'm, I'm gonna give it all I got. Congratulations. Thank you. We'll see you in Rio, how does that sound? <laughs> it's amazing. 
but he never made it to Brazil. 21 days before the Olympics started, he tore his ligament in his left knee, the second time since 2012. It took time, but John decided to leave gymnastics and put his Olympic hopes all to one side. Those four years were just, I don't know how I got through it, honestly. I had never gotten over not being able to showcase my true potential at the games because I had felt so cheated. <laughs> I felt so cheated. I just felt like, God, you know I put in so much work. Why didn't you just help me out? Put me on my feet. Because I used to pray a lot back then. But not only was that not going to change anything, but then I started getting injured. And honestly, now that I look back on my career, I know a lot of the things of what it was that kept me injured, which is honestly just stress. Stress for my family. After my mom died, stress from friends that I thought were my friends, but not really because after the Olympics you realize who is and who is not because depending on how well you do, you'll see where your friends, who your friends are, who they aren't. So, and you know, before, and before that point, I had never had you know, the best social skills or anything to create bonds with people, but uh, just a lot of, it was a big, big, big learning curve. But the thing was, I wasn't done learning. It was like a whole quadranium of learning. Hard learning. Hard learning. Always the hard way. And I learned a lot of things. I learned from my mom's death. I learned not to hold on to things that don't mean anything really. And I think it made me very self-aware afterwards. And another thing I learned was disrespecting my body because I realized that I was getting older and uh, I kept wanting to increase my difficulty, just increasing it, increasing it, and do the numbers because honestly, I was never a numbers athlete, never a numbers guy in the gym, ever. I, I just had to be able to go in there, warm up, do it, done, that's it. This is the way I did it. Um, and I remember after 2012, I was just trying to change my whole approach and everything, and it just wasn't working. I was exhausting myself. I was not eating because there were people telling me I was fat. There was judges telling me I was fat because I just didn't look slim and I didn't, I wasn't cut like all the other dudes. And then, you know, as a man, I never thought I'd deal with something like that, which is strange. I think the biggest thing was learning not to doubt myself, really. Learning not to doubt my decisions and my gut feelings, and also just taking more responsibility for my actions and holding myself accountable for a lot of things outside of the gym that I wasn't doing before that I realize now was actually important. What do you, what do you say to people who find you inspirational and like, like how did you get through those, like what would you say to someone who's like 
things are inspirational and you use to you to get through some tough times. The advice I would give someone who's going through something that seems impossible to get through is that time doesn't stop and you'll get through it. It's gonna hurt, but the only way to get through it is to get through it. And if you need to, seek out help. Seek out somebody. It doesn't have to be someone you know. If you feel like no one loves you, no one knows you, call the line. It, it, it'll, it'll, it'll end. It has to end. It will end. But nobody should ever think about taking that way out. Something tragic may have happened to you, but the only thing keeping everyone going is hope. It sounds cheesy, but the thing is, hope is not this, just a concept that is an empty concept. It's something that you have to create the meaning for. You create the meaning for. What is your hope? My hope after my legs were, all right, I have to make sure I can walk again normally after the second ACL, second Achilles, make sure I get my gait pattern. And if you can't see that far ahead, then take a step back. Talk to yourself in a positive way. Because when everyone is talking to you negatively or talking down to you or telling you you're nothing, you're garbage, the only person that can change that is you. You, you do it. And it's hard, it's hard. No one wants to do it because it feels stupid. It feels like I'm in denial. What am I saying? This is not how I feel. But the thing is, your feelings are going to change. Your feelings will change. Your feelings are not permanent. So I just don't want people to make permanent decisions for something that's not permanent. Kind of the last question is just to talk about what you're doing these days and yeah, what you're doing in LA and all that. Life in LA is amazing. I freaking love LA. I'm adjusting to the people because as a New Yorker, I am just very different from a lot of people in uh, California. So <laughs> just learning how to navigate new areas, new people, new settings, new environments. It's really exciting. I love it. Out here now I do audio engineering. I I'm going to school for it, actually. Uh, so um, I'm excited to take that on. That's going to be my new journey. I've already, I've already been producing songs, but not to the level of satisfaction that I want to be doing it. So coming out to LA, I feel like I can be the person that I've always wanted to be because I don't have anyone telling me how to do something, judging me on how well I do it, judging me on how well I follow their rules or anything like that. It's such an amazing feeling of freedom, of expression that I've never had ever, especially growing up in gymnastics. So that's, that's mostly what I'm more hyped up about. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel Podcast. Podcast. Big, big shout out to Scott Bregman and John Orozco for that interview just gone. I've put in links for the lines to call in the episode description that John mentioned. Wherever you are in the world, please do call someone if you are affected by anything in this episode. John, though, actually has a new single out right now. 
It's called What Goes Up, and you can find him on Instagram, John W. Orozco, where you can find out all the ways to listen to that. You can also listen to it in full at the end of the show, so stick around. We are at Olympic Channel across all social channels if you want to get in touch. I am at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E on all social media. Last week, we did an episode about Chinese ski jumpers in Norway. Yep, that's true. China have sent a load of athletes like sprinters and trampolinists to go and learn how to ski jump. We were there for their first ever lesson with skis. Well worth checking out if you haven't already. It was really funny seeing the reaction on Reddit, actually, on the subreddit Olympics. Jack the Dog 130 said, Just standing on top of a ski jump run was enough to make my head swoon. To think of attempting it would be outside my envelope. Brave. And Indian luger Shiva Kashavan, who's got a great series on the Olympic Channel, also sent a tweet out saying, India has been unable to produce a single ski jumping athlete so far. So here is how China is training first timers to qualify for the Olympics. Thank you for the shout out, Shiva. If you like this episode, please tell some of your mates who might like it, either in real life or on the internet. Five star reviews where you can are always appreciated. And so let's have a listen to that new single from John Orozco. Olympic Channel Podcast Exclusive. Steady coming down now, we're tearing through the sky. Trailing with my real ones, we were blazing through the night. I'm falling all out now, the cross sweep in the serious cloud. I know what you're on and I'll be the first one to hit the ground. Crystal, Maybach can help you now. Saucing, talking, round after round. I can still stop lying, lying, holding a pad in cloud nine in, treading too close to the ground, so pull up, pop another pill and you'll be right where you wanna be, in paradise, with me. Thank you. 